This is One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. How's everybody doing here on a Tuesday? Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. One Bills Live is your program of choice. Thank you for making it. And if you're in the South Towns, you've been busy with your shovel. (laughs) If you're in the North Towns, you're saying, what are you guys griping about down there? Nary a flake. I can mow my lawn today. Yeah. Yeah. What a difference. I spent... uh, so we lost our plow guy. He went to work for somebody. He's like left. So I had. So I, I'm doing it myself for the first time this year. I got a plow on my little thingy, and I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll admit, it wasn't as easy as I sometimes think it should be for the plow guys out there. Mm-hmm. But I was. It took me an hour last night. You got your sticks all lined up along yeah, the yeah, driveway yeah. and I everything. Got, oh, dude. everything's marked. Yeah, all money. I was doing it, and I thought, okay. I didn't know if I could really get it done on my own because I got a long driveway, right? Yes, so I, right. So at the palatial Tasker <clears throat> at compound, the Tasker Estate, the Kennedy compound. All right. Um, <clears throat> anyway, it took me an hour last night because I ha- I felt like we were getting snow, and I did it in the snow. By the time I was done, I had three inches of snow in the in the thing with me. I mean, <laughs> I got it was unbelievable. It was snowing. Oh, it was unbelievable. Two three inches an hour. So then no. I got up again to this morning and did it again, uh, which is. Yeah, I was, I'm, I'm kind of getting the hang of it, but it's going to take... It's a, a little trial curve. and error. There's a learning curve, I'll admit it. There's a learning curve. But it was bad last night, bro sleeve. Oh, it was. Trying to get... You You live... You had to I'm get in north, Lancaster. You had to get north of the line. Where I left the here line? at 3.30 because the weather was bad, and I, right. I was like, well, i got to get started now. Took me an hour and a half to get home. I'm 24 miles from here. Yeah, I got... Took me an hour and a half. I got out of here at 5.30 or so last night, and... No, no, like 10 after 5, 5.20. And I thought, and I called, on, you know, I was on the speakerphone with the, with the missus, saying, I'm coming now, but, you know, and it was a 40-minute drive, and it's usually a 12-minute drive. Yeah. I mean, it was... The reason why was it was bumper to bumper. Yeah. Um, Everybody was on the road at I, the same time. I saw on my map, on my screen in my car, that... You know, the whole 219 and the throughway was all red. So I was like, all right, the heck with that. I'll just take Southwestern to transit and get home that way. Oh, my gosh. Right. I mean, it was a parking lot. It was worse. I mean, crawling. It reminded me of New York City traffic, and I don't like being reminded of that. Yeah, and so uh, people know. I mean, they come down to the games and stuff. It was like getting out of the stadium was worse than any game day this year. Yesterday, you're talking yesterday. about. Yesterday. Yes. Yesterday was worse than I, any game day. I this would year. agree with that. I, I, it was bumper to bumper before I even got to California, before I got to. It was bumper to bumper. Yeah. Every, the, the progress was so minuscule. It was terrible. And then here's the thing, too. Everybody can relate to this. I'm sitting at the, I don't mind sitting at a light, if it's a light light. But in a snowstorm, I'm sitting behind like this little panel truck. Yeah. So you can't see anything. So I go, why are you just sitting here? What's going on? I mean, there's, there's, there isn't a. What's in front of you? Right. What is it? I can't see what's in front. So I'm like, kind of like leaning. Like <laughs> Steve's got his head out the window like a dog. It was so frustrating. So there you go. I tough night though. The funniest part was I pull into my driveway, and I've got like three, four inches on the <laughs> right. roof of my car from us snow. being here yesterday. Driving yeah. back what, to my house. That's what we got on the on the. I got in my, the parking lot yesterday. My neighbors are putting their Christmas lights up in the front lawn. They look at my car. They go, "Oh my god." Where are you coming from? I was right. like, 
the South Towns. It's the end of days down there. Yeah. It was it wasn't as bad as it wasn't as bad as the weekend before Thanksgiving last year where we got like I got ninety inches at the house. But we got sixteen, seventeen inches. Yeah. Not quite a foot and a half. It's not nothing. <laughs> You're telling me. It's not nothing. I was worried about being able to push it with the little thing I got. Right, right. But it worked. So you got a gator, right? Yeah. It was it worked. It worked good. I was I was excited about it. I was nah, not excited. Pleasantly surprised. I don't want to overstate it. I mean, it, it's like one of those things. It's, it was fun the first time. It was all right. It's fun the first time. This morning, eh, it was a chore. Not so much. It was a chore. Uh, so it is a Tuesday. It is the start of the bye week for the Bills, and they could use it with some of the nicked-up players they have on their roster trying to get back, um, trying to get healthier, and quite frankly, heading into what is week 13 – some guys could use a rest. I mean, let's just be honest about that. The amount of snaps Ed Oliver has played probably the last four or five weeks. Right. I mean, that guy could use a break. So, And there are others, of course. But knowing that they typically go with a rotation, Oliver's been playing more than that on average by a considerable margin, and we know why. Um, Production, that's yeah. why. But there are guys that, you know, this time of year, and Steve can speak to this better than I can, their bodies are hanging a little bit by the time you get to week 13, week 14, and just getting a few days and then a weekend yeah. where you're not in 15 car wrecks, right? it I'll does a world it, it, of difference for you. Three days off or two days off. Two days off, but three days off. I mean, it feels like it really feels like a two-week vacation, you re- and plus not having a game, and you come back to work next Monday or Tuesday. They might get Monday off and come back in on a Tuesday and start getting ready for the, the Chiefs game in earnest, and it just feels like you've been gone forever. It's just like, oh, yeah. yeah. It's, it's unbelievable the difference it makes. You know, these guys are young, and they're in tip-top shape and all of that, so they, they shake stuff off faster. But after two and a half months, or three months, actually, it's yeah, it's, it feels so good to just be not beat on. Yeah, like yeah. your body gets an extra four or five days to recover oh, from the yeah. normal – it's a time it's a, frame it's a on the turnaround. Yeah. And, I, and I'll difference. say this too, you know, they've had good success with McDermott coming out of the bye. And uh, we'll see. I mean, this is a, I mean, they're, they're going back to Kansas city. I mean, I don't, it's like a home game for everybody now, right? Except for the crowd noise. I mean, you got to know that locker room, like the back of your hand. If you're the bills, you've been over there four times in a row. Yeah. Four of the last five years in the regular season. Yeah. And a couple and of in times playoffs. in the playoffs Twice as well. In the playoffs. Yeah. So um, it's, yeah, it'll be it'll be a comfort level they have going in there. They've had success in there at times, so yeah, we'll we'll see. Coming off the bye, let's let's go play. And that brings us to our topic of discussion today for you at eight zero three zero five fifty one eight 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 five fifty two five fifty. What is your level of optimism that the Bills are making the playoffs? And tell us why. Eight zero three zero five fifty. One eight 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 five fifty two five fifty. The number to get on board. I do know that across the league, the Bills have the number one strength of schedule over their last five games. There are some teams that have six games to play because they'll be playing this week, and then the remaining five weeks they've already had their bye. But for the Bills and their five games remaining, it is the toughest strength of schedule uh, going forward here. It's amazing, too. After the game I saw, the last two games, you know, 
uh, the, I guess, what is it, the Jet game and the, and Eagles, the game. Eagles game, that strength of schedule doesn't scare me like it did, uh, even with one loss. It really doesn't. Yeah. They're, they're playing at a high level. They've got great players. And I said this yesterday. I'll say it again. They got the best quarterback in the league this year. Um, and you can, you know, they all go, they're all like right here. Josh is playing better than any quarterback in the league, bar none. Yeah. Uh, for the body of work he's done this year. And I told you yesterday, he's never going to make, he's not going to win an MVP because of the win loss record and because of the regular season nature of how it goes, unless he gets on a hot streak and, you know, but. The strength of the schedule doesn't scare me like maybe it should. Um, these guys are going to go toe-to-toe with every single team the rest of the way. And there's those teams will probably want no part of this group because um, most of them, certainly the Chiefs and certainly the Cowboys, know how dangerous they are. So it's going to be a fun run down the stretch. Uh, the only team that's different and there's the Charger game, the middle one. The last two, Patriots-Dolphins, I mean, it's like, you know, playing your your stepbrother or somebody, you know. You know him so well, right? I mean, it's like you share a bedroom <laughs> with those jokers. So, <clears throat> but the the one game that's the kind of the wild card would be the, the L.A. Charger game. Okay. Because they're unfamiliar. Right, to a certain extent, even the, yes. even the Cowboys don't. I mean, they, we we seem like we play those, we play those. Yeah, haven't so. played the Chargers since 2020, I believe. Yeah, if I have that right. But let's go to the phones at 803-0550-1-888-550-2550, The number to get on board. We're going to lead off today with Bob in Hamburg. What do you got for us, Bob? I'm tired. I listen to a lot of sports shows. Watch a lot of football in my life since 1965. A Buffalo Bills fan, and these guys want to run McDermott out of the road. Are they stupid? I mean, come on. We got the best coach in the NFL. He's got a lot on his plate. Let him coach. He's doing a great job. He's a defensive coordinator, head coach, special teams coach. What else do you want the guy to do? I'm tired of these fans, so-called fans, okay? I don't wear nothing but red, white, and blue. These are so-called fans. They're trying to get rid of the best coach in the NFL. That's all I got to say, right. guys. Thanks, Bob. All right, Bob. Appreciate, well, Bob, I, you got I get it, and I agree with you. I agree with you 100. Um, percent I, I don't want him to go anywhere. And but you know the reason people are out there doing this kind of stuff and saying they're calling for this guy's job and that guy's job and you know this guy and that guy and how bad it is and. Is because they're frustrated at a team that they th- feel like every once in a while underperforms or, or loses these games in some quirky manner that there's, it's got to be the head coach's fault or you know forget about the fact they're playing the NFC champions. No, they want to no blame excuse. somebody. They want to blame somebody, and they're upset because they they care about the team as much as you do, um, but they take it out on the people that they want to blame somebody. They get angry over it, and that's so. I got I got a lot of grace for those people. Uh, all those people calling for. Jobs to be had. I mean, I got. A, I had a good friend of mine fired yesterday. Um, I get it. It's no fun when it happens, and it's it's a lot of turmoil. Um, but I'm I'm with you. I have a hard time getting past the enormously positive body of work that this crew has brought to this team. An enormous, enormously positive body of work that 
McDermott and Bean and all the coaches that have been here off and on throughout this ten- his tenure uh, and the GM's tenure. And I even heard somebody going after Brandon Bean today about, like, well, he's not – I'm like, dude, give me a break. I mean, this is a team that is put together. I'm, you had injuries, no question, and, and you can't hold that against the GM. They got some guys, and they are – nobody wants any part of this team. I mean, they are, they're really good. Now, they've, they've dropped some games. They're 6-6. Six and six. They are what their record says they are, but I'm telling you what, it ain't for a, for a lack of talent or because they don't know what they're doing. Uh, I'm with you, Bob. Let's just take a deep breath. Know that it's a hard league to win in. And I, and, you know, and I get it. He's got a lot on his plate, like you said, but that's what they sign up for. It's their job to do all that stuff. Yeah. So he's not flinching from it or shying away from it. And more often than not, every issue that has faced this franchise and this team, football side, inside the lines and outside the lines, they have handled in an exemplary manner. Yeah. And they continue to do that. That's so what I'm, I was I'm with you. That's what I was going to say. I'm with you. I was going to say, if you think you've nailed down what the issue is with the Bills and why they're 6-6, six and six, I can promise you that Sean McDermott has nailed that issue down along with 10 others. He is all over it tenfold. So yeah. if you think you've got it figured out, great. You know, it's easier said than done, number one. But number two, that's that guy's job. Yeah, getting he's, line. He's all over it tenfold. If you think there's some sort of boogeyman out there that's that's causing twelve men on the field or causing you know uh, let's let's go you know over the course of it causing a guy to get a pass interference call in a in the Denver game or trying to or you know missing a tackle here miss there's no there's no ghost out there that's sabotaging this thing and it's certainly not Sean McDermott making a decision on a defensive call. Uh, it's they are all about it, um, top to bottom. I and so I'm with you, Bob. Let's ride this out with the guys that have made this team into one of the really one of the truly best teams in the league. Despite a six and six record, this is a team that plays with any team that lines up against them. Let's go to Steve in Orchard Park next. What do you got, Steve? Uh, good afternoon. Just a couple comments, uh, echoing what the first caller said i don't understand all the basic it's almost like hatred about like they want mcdermott fired i mean you have the host on your own station wgr who immediately after the game called for his removal and i'm thinking what, what bothers me about this group of fans and i'm a season ticket holder i've been going to the game since 1971 i understand that there's frustration we haven't been to a bowl or won a bowl and you know, they blame McDermott for everything, everything bad that happens. Um, what I don't understand is, you know, he's done a lot of good. His record speaks for itself. And I, you, I bring these comments up to people, and they just don't want to listen when I say the players have to make plays when they're in the game and their number gets called. If they drop a touchdown pass, miss a field goal, or have a miscommunication, it's not on the head coach. It's on the players who play the game. And I don't understand why people have can't get past that. It's not Sean McDermott isn't responsible for dropping a touchdown pass or missing a field goal or what have you. He, he's supposed to put his team in position to win, and the players have to execute. That's what it's all about. Is he perfect as a head coach? No, he does some things that I think, you know, you could question about this or that. 
But when I bring up the fact that when other players come here, all they talk about is how top-notch this organization is and how you're treated as a family member here. You think it's like that all over the league? It's not, okay? And the players will tell you it's not. But yet all we hear is Sean's got to go. He can't take us to the next level. Uh, Brandon Bean doesn't do a good job. You know, these are the same people who, and I'm sorry, you guys can't say it, they really don't know football from a golf ball, okay? So that's just my opinion. And I would like you guys just to comment a little bit on that. Yeah. Thanks. All right, Steve. Thanks yeah. for uh, bringing yeah. the heat Here's today, the thing Steve. you got to remember. Now, you know, <clears throat> I know that they're in the media like, like Brownie and I are, and you're kind of supposed to, well, you're trying to be objective and bring facts to the table and that kind of thing. But after a game like the Eagles, even radio guys. Yeah, your emotions run you, hot. They run, they run hot. I mean, it's like, it's like oh, my gosh, it's, it, they, people just lose their minds. Fans do it. We do it. Callers do it. Other radio hosts do it. You just say, yeah, fire this guy, fire that guy, cut this guy, get rid of that guy. It's just, it's just too easy to do in today's day and age. But let me tell you this, this, this stuff about, you know, coaches and players, and it's not Sean McDermott, you know, who's miscommunicating or, you know, miss, you know, missing a tackle or dropping a pass, that kind of thing. Let me just tell you how it is in, inside the building. If, they are all in it together. Coaches, players, staff. If one guy makes a mistake, they all have a hand in that mistake. If a guy misses a tackle, they all have a hand in that situation. He should never have been put in that position, or I should have made a call defensive call differently, or I, you know, we should have prepared, I should have prepared him better as a coach. They all take responsibility for all of what happens. That's the way a, a healthy, great locker room, like the one they have here, is. I mean, Joe Brady was a great example today. They're going like, why did Josh, you know, was it Josh? Well, why were, did Josh throw his post? They were, they were trying to get him to point the finger yeah, at either why, Gabe why or did, Josh on yeah, the miscommunication. Who was it? Was it Gabe or Josh? Who's miscommunicating there? And what was the look that they were looking at? And Joe Brady said, listen, that's on me. If they have a miscommunication, I got to make sure they know how to communicate that the right way. That's on me. It ain't on Josh and Gabe. I'm the coach getting them to do this stuff. If I don't think they can execute or if they can't execute it because I'm not coaching them up good enough. It's that, that's how it is. It's that selfless approach that has made this it's about, organization as It's not about me. It's, it's not about you. It's not about this player. It's not about that player. It's not about the offense, the defense, the special teams. It's not about the kicker. It's about us. We all count. And that's how it is in the locker room. That's how it should be. That's why, this, that's why guys want to stand in line to play for this franchise because they got guys who are ready to play like a Taylor Rapp or some of these guys or Dane Jackson, whoever, you name it. And, and the coaches say, listen, I don't, you're not quite 100%. We're not gonna, I know you want to play, but you're not 100%. We're going to wait until you're ready to go at 100%, then we'll let you go. These guys, at a deeper level, they appreciate that. When they get back to take a breath and they tell their wife or their parents that, well, they're not going to let me. I think I'm ready. I want to told them I wanted to play, and they won't let me because they don't, yeah. they're worried about me. You know what? That goes a million miles toward having a, a guy that will sell out for a club who's protecting him from himself. So that's, you know, this organization. They're not going to win every game, 
But even when you lose, it's not an excuse not to do stuff the right way. And they have always done that under Sean McDermott and Brandon. That, in and above everything else, should give you, should give you some optimism about how this season is going to play out and how they're going to finish it, at least, whether, it, whether it's, they're in the tournament or not. They're going to continue to do stuff the right way and for the right reasons, and players are going to want to play for them, the ones that are here and the ones that wish they were here. Let's get back to the phones and to Jack in Kenmore next. What do you got, Jack? Good afternoon, gentlemen. Here, I have a, like two or three questions, okay? The first question is this. Don't you believe that we should have won four of the six games that we did lose? And, you know, I think the problem is this, too. Our head coach has trouble coaching when he gets tight in the ball game. And I want to have Steve Tasker this. If he had his brothers, and I want the answer, Steve, would you love to see Frank Wright be the head coach of this football team? Because we've never had a head coach that played for the Bills be the head coach of the Buffalo Bills. A guy that played for the Bills. I'd love to have Frank Wright here. I know he got fired yesterday, but I think he's a hell of a coach and a hell of a guy. Thank you, and have a good day, gentlemen. Okay. Well, I'll say this. I'd, I'd kind of like to have my buddy move back to town so I could hang out with him a little bit. Um, I'd love to see him maybe be the offensive coordinator. I'm not ready to jump ship on Sean McDermott, uh, but Joe Brady's doing a great job. Uh, so sure, I'd love to see Frank work for the Bills again. As head coach, instead of Sean, nah, not so fast. I love Frank. He's a close friend of mine. But man, they're in a they're in a good spot right now. I know it's their six and six, and yeah, they they've dropped six games by one score by one score Total or less. Twenty six points and by you know you could have stolen one from from Denver with a twelve men on the field. I mean you know I mean there's all of that stuff going on. I I, I don't know. I don't want to. I'm not switching horses now for anybody. Nobody. I wouldn't switch horses for Marv. This is. You know, this group, I think, is really special. I think Sean's special. I think Brandon's special. And certainly Josh, Diggs, Vaughn, all those guys. Ed, Rousseau, Leonard Floyd. They got some guys. I, lo- I love where this team is at right now. Certainly it's not going to last for you know, a couple of months more. And they're going to have to switch it up like they have to do every year. But I like where they're at right this minute, and I and I know that's crazy to talk with six and six. But I, I'll take this I'll take this team down the stretch ahead of any of the teams left on their schedule. You can say what you want about Dallas, Brownie and I can talk about that in a minute. I people are picking the Dallas Cowboys over the Bills right now. Let me just give you a little something something here, and Brownie knows where exactly where I'm going with this. <laughs> So the Dallas Cowboys are sitting there. They're 8-3, and three, and you're thinking, wow, they are really good. Let me just tell you something. They beat the Giants twice, the Jets, the Patriots, the Chargers, the Rams, Panthers, Commanders. There isn't a single team over Give us that schedule. We'll, we're not going 8-3 and three in that schedule. We might go 11-0 and 0 against that schedule. They, they lost to the Cardinals. They lost to the Cardinals. And then they lost to the San Francisco 49ers and Philly. Two really good teams. They had, and they got boat raced by San Fran. They got boat raced by San Francisco. And everybody's saying, well, I don't know. I don't think the, I don't think the Cowboys are going to be able to go. Listen, they're coming up here. Let them come. 
I like I like this team and this group. I believe in this coach, this GM, and certainly the ownership group who put them together. I believe in the team, the players, the good ones, the ones that are – I'm telling you, I like them. And I, I don't know that they're going to get into the playoffs. I really don't. But, man, oh, man, I, I can't argue with any of the decisions that made getting this team constructed the way it is, first of all. And you can go back and, and listen. If you're going to lose six games, you can, you can go back and double-take a ton of decisions. The way all, it's the way it is. But, man, oh, man. I'm not switching for anything, whether it's my buddy or not. And, Jack, just to your point about one-score games and when they're close, yeah, I'll I'll give it to you. He's 2-6 and this year, and the Bills are 2-6 and this year in one-score games. Last year they were 7-3. and Now, the year before that, they were 0-6 in one-score games. That's when the whole narrative started. But then they won their last four and were playing their best football in the postseason. The year before that, 2020, one-score games, they were 6-1. and There is a vacillation that goes back and forth because one-score games are very prevalent in the NFL. Over 75% of the games in this league are decided by eight points or less. So there are going to be one-score games. And in the grand scheme of things, you're probably going to win about just as many as you lose. And guess what? And guess what? After seven years of Sean McDermott coaching this football team, you know what the team's record is in one-score games? It's 28 and 28. You're not going to win all of them. Yeah. The league is – we've this. talked about it all the time. Yeah. The margins are narrow, and in close games, it takes one play here, maybe one play there to determine it when it's tight like that. In an ideal world, you're running off and leaving teams, and the Bills have done that too. Yeah. In the one-score games, you're going to win some, you're going to lose some. Here's the thing. The uncomfortable truth about it is they're in a spot now where at 6-6 six and six with five games to play, they got no wiggle room, really. Right? I mean, we all feel it. They got to win these games coming down the stretch. Until other teams trip up, somebody gets injured, and they start losing games, the Bills got to win all their games left, right? And that's an uncomfortable place for all of us to be. But I'll say this. I, I'll take this group. I'll take this group. Let's go run. So I I don't know that. And I think a lot of Bills fans are there, but it's uncomfortable. No question about it. But I think I'm, I'm kind of ready to watch them go. I see if they can do it. Um, You know, the, the margins not there anymore. And we'll see if they can live within that margin to bill in Texas. Next. What do you got, Bill? Hey gentlemen. Thanks for taking my call. My question is on the play with Gabe Davis, where he turned the wrong way. Where is the hot route? Steve, you know as well as I do, in high school, the first thing that they teach you is when you zero blitz and they empty out that middle, that inside receiver's got to go to the inside. He's got to. Three-yard pass right there, he probably walks in. And we learned nothing from Kelsey when Kelsey did it to us when he tells Mahomes, hey, if they're going to play like this, man, it's wide open right there. And we, we didn't learn anything from it. Nothing at all. And... I just don't understand where the hot route, how nobody ran anything. It just doesn't make sense to me. And the other thing that don't make sense to me is that people want to uh, fire the coach. You fire him to see how fast he gets picked up by somebody else. And you see how far you go down and how fast they come up. Yeah, but they'll be – yeah, I, mean, I, I get you. Uh, and you're right. It depends on the route called, no question about it. Gabe pops wide open. you got to hit the pass. Uh, to me – and I get, I get what you're saying, Bill. You, you'd like to see him just hit it, get the first down. 
Um, that's a crusher, missing it, missing it when your guy's wide open and just missed timing. And I, and I said this yesterday, that, that was a timing round. I wish Josh would have held on to it for like a half, not even a half second longer, so he could have got an idea where Gabe was going. But the timing of that route and when it broke inside or out and when Josh let it go was just at the moment when you needed to know. And he let it go a little too early. Or, or Gabe, it took him too long to break the cushion down on the guy he was working it on. And when Gabe gets up there, the guy's inside of him. Well, he's playing inside leverage to shut off the middle of the yeah, field because he has no safety help there. And he's flat-footed, which is why Gabe ran right by him. He's flat-footed thinking Gabe is going to break it to the inside. Gabe takes it deep, and Josh is already letting the, letting the ball go. You know, it's a missed touchdown. And that's, that is an absolute crusher. And Josh knew he had to get rid of it because the pressure was coming, all that stuff. Um, yeah, it's a frustrating play, no question, Bill. You're right. And there were, you know, Diggs had a quick out on the outside that the outside corner jumped. Um, so it was – the Bills have – Sometimes you just don't win on a play. The Bills do have quick in routes to the, to the inside receiver on a zero blitz. They, you know – Obviously, so they just they had a better option on that one than they did there than the Chiefs do with Kelsey on the crosser. You know, they had a guy wide open. All he had to do was throw the ball two tenths of a second later, uh, and they yeah it just didn't happen. So that's and I'll say that that's that's where we're sitting this week. Everybody is really upset that we're in this spot where we got to win out to get in the tournament and. We're so much better than the teams that have beaten us. You know, yeah. there's so That's much better. So galling, we're so much better than the teams that are in the nine, eight, seven, six, five spots. We're so much better than them, and uh, and yet here you sit, and that's that's the thing that everybody's got everybody's emotions running right at the surface. What is your level of optimism that the Bills are making the playoffs? You let us know at 803-0550-1888-550-2550. More of your phone calls next here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Back here on One Bills Live on a Tuesday. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. And right back to the phones where we're asking you what's your level of optimism. The Bills are making the playoffs. We go to Pete in Harrisburg, PA, I'm assuming. Next here, what do you got for us, Pete? Hey, guys. How are you today? Okay. Um, I have a couple points to make. I just would like to be able to discuss them back and forth and not be like sure. you know, hung up on. Sure. Um, my, my problem with this team is not the results. That makes any sense. Um, my problem is that our coach is, is a great coach, please. I, I don't know nothing about coaching, hiring coaching, coaching football, but what I do realize is that he has an issue in the style of coach he is, meaning um, he took over the defensive coordinator job this year. And at first I was like, okay, great. you know. But at the same time, it also shows me that he has a lack of a trust in the people around him and B, that he has to have his hands on a lot of things. And I don't think he is capable of doing that. And evidence is what's in front of us right now, gentlemen. Um, we should have lost to the Giants. Um, we're beating bad teams barely. Um, 
we handcuffed Josh for some reason. I don't know why. And you could tell the guy's body language was, was not right. And people blame Dorsey, but Dorsey's not the head coach. You know, Dorsey is an employee of the Buffalo Bills who is under the CEO who happens to be Sean McDermott. And I just believe that his style is now becoming and becoming to see through to his team. Um, guys, it, it, you know, the first thing I learned playing any sport is you got to have courage. You play hurt, blah, 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 but you're not scared. The coach is scared. It's been proven over and over. He really doesn't like to let his players play sometimes. You know, you got a guy who, in my opinion, is probably, I think you guys will agree, top three quarterback in the league, right? I mean, you, you gentlemen agree with that? Yep. Yeah, of course. Okay, now, my question is this, after all that being said, what are you doing benching Cook? What are you teaching this kid to play scared, make some mistake he's going to have to worry about that every time he touches the ball? That's a mistake. Whether that's on his running back coach or him, he's in charge. Number two. Let, wait, let me, Other let guys me let's, let's, let's oh. discuss this back and forth, Pete. Let me address the as you go, go all right? Absolutely, sir. Go right ahead. All right. Yeah. James Cook got benched when he coughed up the ball in the first play of the game against first play Denver. Against, against Denver, and he came back in after being benched and had his best game ever. To me, that's pushing the right buttons. Okay. I, I and I'll say this too, Pete. You're right. Some guys fold up under those pressures. But I think it's a head coach's responsibility and, and, and a position coach's responsibility and a coordinator's responsibility to know the different personality of his players and coach them in the way that makes them, motivates them and empowers them the most. And so when they do that, when they bench some guys for mistakes and other guys they give more opportunities to for mistakes, I think that's a nod to them understanding what makes the guy tick. And I agree with I can't agree with you more, Steve. My problem with that mentality is you are taking out an explosive playmaker and putting in another good player in Murray. But, dude, I don't play, I don't coach football, but I know when Murray's in the, when he's in the huddle, what's going to happen? He doesn't scare me if I'm a defender. He's going to go find someone to hit. He he doesn't make anybody miss. And I understand the, 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 the mentality and the psychology of benching someone to make them play better later. But, dude, you're giving up 14 plays of, 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 of a good player for a not-so-good player. And that's where I'm a little upset. I, I don't have a problem with the, with the understanding, okay, this guy plays better if he's mad, blah, blah, blah. But at the same time, you're doing an injustice to the rest of your team by benching a player who makes a difference for a guy who does not make a difference. Okay. That's my problem. All right. And, and also, we can, we can I have one more on point that. to make. Go ahead. What's the next one? Okay. Thank you. Thank you for letting me finish. Um, another thing. Do you think in any way, shape, or form, since I've been hearing everyone say we have a, uh, a Super Bowl roster, we have a Super Bowl this, we have a Super Bowl that, and I'm going to leave you with this, gentlemen. Do you really believe if this team was in the hands of a Bill Parcells, a Mike Shanahan, or I'm even going to put in a, a Mike Tomlin in there, that we'd be 6-6? Six and six? I don't think so, guys. There's no way one of those coaches with this roster, with that talented quarterback, and everything that's happened to him since he's been to Buffalo would be six and six. We don't. You, good coaches, good teams don't lose to the Giants. Uh, excuse me, to the, to the Patriots, who are the worst team that I've seen in the last I don't know how many years. We we do not keep games with teams like the Giants. We blow them off the water. Second quarter, fourth quarter, you got to back up, freaking hand the ball off to a, a fourth string running back. 
that's all I got to say, gentlemen. Thank you for listening, and have yourself a wonderful day. Thank all right. you. All right, Pete. Thanks, Pete. Um, well, I, I don't care if – I mean – I mean, you're talking about two Hall of Fame coaches and a coach who might be in the running for that. I don't think that McDermott's been a head coach at nearly as long for us to pass judgment on what level of head coach he is just yet. I mean, those guys coached 20, 30 years in the NFL. I have no problem with this Sean. This is his first head coaching job. I have no problem with Sean McDermott uh, that – would say that I don't ever think he's ever going to be able to win a Super Bowl. I I, have, I am nowhere near that ballpark. Um, Tony Dungy was traded from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and won a Super Bowl the next place he stopped. Um, same thing with Andy Reid. Andy Reid, same thing. Um, Mike, or not Mike, uh, Kyle Shanahan is the guy who was up 28-3 in the Super Bowl with Atlanta and lost, uh, and he has yet to win a Super Bowl. Although his teams are very good, and very they've talented, they've been in one. Um, you can go down, you can go up and down the list that you mentioned, and find all kinds of parallels and all that. All I all I say is this: I I, don't, I just want Sean McDermott to be as good as he can be. And I said this yesterday. Part of the thing you want to do with these head coaches is learn with them the hard lessons that we've all learned. I mean, these losses this year. A couple of them, a couple three or three of them, I, I'm not going to go to the list, but they're gut punches, right? The jet loss in the beginning of the year, I mean, we turned it, Josh turned it over like, you know, right? Four times. Four times. I mean, oof, right? So you got that. Then you, then you jump back on it and you crush three teams in a row. Uh, and so I'm, I'm in the mindset, of, I just want Sean, Mc, I want Sean McDermott, I want the Bills to learn or get the benefits from the hard lessons that Sean McDermott has taken us through on this journey from 2000, what was it, 17, 18, 19, you know, all those lessons, all those hard lessons, all the, you know, the one-score excruciating losses, the, the crazy, quirky losses that this team has, has suffered, uh, and the lessons you learn from it. I want the Bills to get the benefit from the lessons that Sean McDermott and this staff have learned from those. You know the wind game, you know. But this is also the same. This is also the same staff and the same group, core group, that put together an absolutely perfect playoff game against a division rival who was the champion of the division for like six straight years. A perfect game, right. and I and they're not Bill Parcells, not Marv Levy, not anybody can tell you that they put together a game like the Bills did against that team. So there's, there's that end of the spectrum as well. And you got to take them all into account. And that you should have, would have, could have won the, you know, you should have won this game, you should have won that game. Or, or the conversely, you say you had no business beating the Giants. Well, okay, well, if you're going to do that, then the Eagles had no business beating the Bills. Let's go, you know, that's the same sword with the, the other edge. So you can't go down that road. You got to play every game, and you got to take the take the outcome. But I'm still saying, take the hard lessons that you're learning now. Know that this staff and this coach, and this GM, they're all learning those lessons. Just like they're they're part of it. They're they're in the midst of it. They see it. Those hard lessons, those quirky losses, those losses that are so gut punching. They we give them names. They get it, 
and they're learning lessons from those, whatever lessons they can, and they're moving on, and they're going to try and get better for it. So take heart in that. I know that's the case. Let's go to Joe in Williamsville next. What do you got for us, Joe? Hey, Chris and Steve. Thank you for taking my call. And Steve, I just want to let you know right off the bat, you're you're talking to a deeply disturbed follower. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Uh, I appreciate you. (laughs) Okay, two... Uh, two things. I, I want to. I get these updates from the Bills uh, website, and uh, I want to discuss that. And then I want to uh, answer your question about my optimism for the rest of the season. But uh, the uh, update I got from the Bills was uh, Bills players' comment on the refereeing of the loss to Philly. And as I went down through the thing, there is a an X, or formerly known, I guess, as a tweet from Warren Sharp. And I says to myself, who's Warren Sharp? So I Googled him, and it says Warren Sharp says he's the only analyst in the betting space who works with NFL teams. Okay, so I go to his uh, tweet here, and it says, the Eagles are 4-0 and with Sean Hockley as the ref since Nick Serrani was hired. I don't know who Nick Serrani is. He's Sirianni. the head coach Nick of the Sirianni's Eagles. Nick he's the head coach of the Eagles. Oh, okay. All right. Now, and then in parentheses, it's got 4-0 ATS as well. Against and the I spread, said, yeah. well, what is ATS? That's after the betting spread in, in, in sports. Against in the spread. Against the yeah. spread, yeah. Against the spread, yes. So uh, then it goes further down, and it comments on uh, Poyer's comments about the referee's uh, need to be held for accountability. And according uh, per Tim Graham, he says a lot. Uh, it doesn't seem uh, like uh, the referees are being uh, held accountable this year. Uh, he says players are getting fined during the week for silly stuff. Uh, and uh, he says uh, it doesn't seem like a whole lot of accountability for the officials at all. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's that's that part on the and yeah. as far as my uh, optimism on the rest of the season, I'm very optimistic we're going to make the playoffs. Uh, I watched the Kansas City Philadelphia game the week before and I thought Kansas City outplayed Philadelphia and they should have won that game. And that's exactly how I felt watching the the game the Bills against Philadelphia. I don't know if Philly's got a uh, horseshoe up their butt or what, but uh, they, and I think the way the Bills play, we, we can beat any of these teams that, that we're going to face, yeah. and I'm very optimistic. All right, thanks and very I'll much. hang up and listen to your comments. Thanks, guys. Yeah, Love thanks, it. Joe. Appreciate it. Um, we're up against the clock, so I had to jump off there. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, the refs are held accountable, just not in the same way that players are in terms of fines. As we discussed yesterday, they are graded by the officiating department. They're also given reports from the teams that they officiate, and they file grievances if they have issues with certain calls, and those are reviewed by the officiating department as well. And when it all comes out in the wash at the end of the season – the refs that have the best grades at the end of the regular season are assigned to playoff crews, and those are the officials that officiate the playoff games. The ones that are graded poorly go home. 
They don't take part in the playoffs for that very reason. Now, some people might not feel that's punitive enough uh, and that maybe, but there are, there are officials that we know, Steve, that have been demoted from head referee to a back judge. Phil Luckett is a perfect example. He couldn't even get a coin toss right in a playoff game. He asked for that, too. He didn't like being a head official, and and that incident with the coin flip. He went from a head coach to a, or a head referee to a back judge. Yeah, he says, just put me back in the back. So there are, yeah. there are punitive measures that are taken. Do they rise to the level of what players have to deal with sometimes when they're fined for their socks not being worn the right way? No, but... Referees also don't make the same money that players do, and right. for some reason the league feels imagine, that's too, the way they should adjudicate. There's a lot in this. There's a lot in this question. They do hold them as accountable as they can. They do not. I don't, to my knowledge, they don't find these guys because you can imagine you don't want the guy out there throwing a flag or not throwing a flag based on how it's going to affect his pocketbook. Um, it's the same way on the other end that you don't want them doing that, like with the gambling thing and and what you know what. Joe was alluding to, like, hey, I don't know about, you know, this. And, like, somebody's going to get caught with their hand in the cookie jar. We had a caller in there yesterday yeah. that somebody's going to do that. And, uh, yeah, so you can imagine the league holds these guys as accountable as possible. They make out reports. Each, each individual official makes out a report after the game, handwritten stuff, incidents, calls, all of that stuff, statistics, how many of these, how many of those. All of that stuff is written down, taken into account. They're held accountable for it. The team's contact the league and they say i got a list of 25 plays i want a clarification you know they say i want a clarification meaning what are you looking at so all of that happens but they do it behind the scenes and and off you know they don't do it in the media which i think is a better way to do it than having a bunch of wahoos like me and brownie yelling about it even though we're going to yell about it anyway yeah Break time for us. Uh, more of your phone calls when we get back here on One Bills Live. Stay tuned. He's at the 20, the 10, the 5, touchdown, Snapdragon Apples. This Bill season, head to Wegmans and other local retailers to experience the epic flavor and monster crunch of Snapdragon Apples, the official apples of your Buffalo Bills. Right back to the phones we go into Dave in Niagara Falls. What do you got for us, Dave? Yes, I got a couple of things. First, um, it seems like Buffalo always has this opportunity to and they shoot themselves in the foot and take a major penalty like a drive stopper or they uh, they got the team uh, stopped and they take a penalty and the team gets to keep the ball and they keep going down and then they score on us. The other thing is we had 20 seconds on the clock. Kansas City did it in 13. I don't understand why if you want to go and be a, a winning team, you have to go get the points. You can't sit and wait till the other team takes it away from you. And who's in who on the team is responsible to keep this team in more discipline where we don't take them bad penalties and give the team a chance to score on us? All right. I'll sit back and work for your uh, opinion, and thank you very much, guys, and you have a wonderful holiday. All Thanks, right. Dave. Thanks, you Dave. You too. Um, yeah, I, I would agree that most of the time when Buffalo loses a close game, they often help the opposition in beating them. And quite frankly, sometimes that's the only way you can beat the Bills, with them helping you. And they've done it, probably more often than they would like. 
Mistakes are going to happen in games. It's very hard to play a perfect game. Very hard. Um, but you don't want – I think what's been different this year that both myself and my broadcast partner, Eric, would have noticed is some of the mistakes have compounded themselves and come in a series. Perfect example, James Cook drops the pass that could have gone for a walk-in touchdown on the first series. Bills have to punt. If I remember right, they commit two penalties on that drive defensively that lead to first down that lead to a fresh set of downs and conversions for the Eagles. I think one happened on a third down and the other was on fourth and one when Jordan Phillips jumped and the drive continues and it results in a touchdown. And so that's a that's a 14 point swing right there. Yeah. Just because of a drop pass and two penalties. So, yeah, the, the mistakes do contribute to the opponent's success rate, number one. And if you do it enough, it can get you beat. And more often than not, when the Bills lose games, it's because of that very thing. And it is troubling. I'm not going to deny it for yeah. a second. Yeah, and yeah, and, and as for who's responsible for it, I mean, it's the player who makes the mistake is responsible for it. So are his guys at his position group and so is his position coach and his coordinator and the head coach i said this earlier they're all in this together everybody shares in the mistakes everybody's mistakes that's the way it works you feel responsible for it you feel for the guy who did it you wish you could help him you you don't you know it's that kind of atmosphere so they all take responsibility for the mistakes that keep them from getting beat because everybody also contributes when you win but you're right um it was a frustrating team because every single loss seems like they do it to themselves. Yeah. And that's why you get this narrative that something must be wrong somewhere. And yeah. actually, it's just might, might be that they're really, really good. And, and they've, had, they've had a string of luck, like you said. Um, they're behind the norm this season for going 50-50 in one-score games. Yeah, they're two and six. Yeah, so we'll see. Got to take a break here. When we come back, ESPN NFL analyst and former NFL quarterback Dan Orlovsky making his weekly appearance here. We'll get his thoughts on the rejuvenated Bills offense and what he thinks of the schedule ahead after the bye week next on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Live, presented by Kaleida Health. All right, welcome to hour number two here on a Tuesday. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you, and joined now by ESPN NFL analyst, former NFL QB Dan Orlovsky, whose segment is brought to you by Ellicott Hotels. Fans, round up your family, friends, or co-workers for a fantastic game day experience at 500 Pearl. Reserve your pack, book your group event today at 500pearlbuffalo.com. Well, Dan, it was an entertaining game. On Sunday, in a driving rainstorm, back and forth it went. Um, fans, obviously, in Buffalo are not very happy with how things turned out. 
uh, as the team heads to the bye at six and six. I do have to say, from the jump, I was I was scratching my head about the Eagles' offensive game plan, which was more passing oriented than anything else, and, and the Bills were not super impressive against the run coming into this game. I was just very surprised they chose to go to the air, not only because of the weather, but because of the team they were facing. What about you? Yeah, I think, one, that's Nick Sirianni's DNA ever since he's gotten to Philly. It really is throw to score, run to win. Like They they are a very aggressive football team. They try to jump on you. Uh, one, because the strengths of their football team are their ability to run the football and their ability to rush the passer. You know, And so you get the lead and – that's obviously the the blueprint. So that's that's Nick's DNA. Two, if we're just being point blank honest, if you look at who Buffalo is and the strength of their football team, it's it's Ed. When Ed is on his game, he's as good as anybody in the in the game right now at defensive tackle. It feels like certainly top three. So, and then where are they weakest? It's because of some of the injuries, the back end. And so you sit there and go, well, we like to throw the ball, and this is where they're weak and vulnerable. So. Um, you know, I, I wasn't totally surprised by that. Uh, and obviously some really good second half adjustments, halftime adjustments uh, by Philadelphia on both sides of the ball are the difference of the game. It's been the difference of the last month or so for them. So uh, credit them and their coaching staff for kind of getting that done, but not shocked with how they started it. Are there any generalities that you can point to about the, how the Bills offense has changed under Joe Brady rather than uh, under Ken Dorsey? What, because they certainly look more efficient. Yeah. They look. They ran the ball really well against the number one run defense in the league this last week. Yeah. Um, just other. Yep. I mean, certainly you can go down and get specifics, X's and O's. But what about generally speaking? What's different? Balance, philosophical balance. I, I would say is the the understanding of how you know plays have. Are, are, there's a butterfly effect to plays. Uh, there is a an attachment to them, and and. Um, how first quarter stuff impacts third and fourth quarter stuff when it comes to how defenses are going to play certain formations. Can you wear things out? Can you make things easier on your offensive line? I think, you know, the two weeks with Joe, like my overall, like probably my number one thing is he's made life on the offensive line easier. We always attach it to what's he done for Josh. The offensive line's job has been easier just because he's allowed them to play with a little bit more forward lean than backpedaling. You know, he's he's allowed he's committed to running the ball just a little bit more. And he's he's not only just committed to running it, he's been um, tactical in how he ran it so they could have success doing so. And then in doing that, he's made their job easier when it comes to pass protection, because, you know, the defensive line isn't sitting there. Go, OK, here comes pass like it does often. And or um, Josh is going to be in the same spot. Um, so I, I do think just the overall philosophical balance is is the biggest deal when it comes to how they can play and, and throughout the four, you know, course of four quarters. Bills fans are frustrated with you know Buffalo's record, particularly in one score games. They're two and six this year yeah. in those scenarios. I will say, last year they were seven and three uh, in those situations. Uh, is there anything that stands out to you in these one score games that the Bills find themselves in at the end? that for some reason or another, they can't get into the garage? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if there's a singular thing. I, I do think Marcus brought this up on NFL Live a week or two ago. Um, you know, because of the injuries, the margin of error is slimmer. You know, those those injuries, 
you feel them on a a singular or momentary basis. But you know, with, is there a play where you know a Milano knocks a ball down or makes a stop on third down or a Tredavious? you know, knocks a ball down or gets a PBU that stops a drive in the second quarter that the team doesn't get three points on or, you know, doesn't get another 30 yards of offense or the field doesn't flip. So there's that, there's that kind of, you know, there's so many instances where they're, they had room for error or margin for error because they were such a talented team. And I do think some of the injuries um, have minimized that margin for area or, or the, you know, the, Hey, we can have 64 great plays and six that aren't so good. And we've covered up for it because the 64 were so great. So um, I think that's probably it. Sometimes, you know, losing one score games just is a, is a yearly thing. You know, it's look at Minnesota two years ago, they lost every one score game last year. They won every one score game. What kind of team are they? So usually the, the in between. So I, I just think, um, the margin for error is definitely lesser in Buffalo because of some of those injuries. And then so like so like one turnover last year might have not been the difference of a game. This year it is in many ways because that margin for error is less. One of the things that the Bills drew criticism from, particularly the head coach Sean McDermott, was like coaching, you know, not to lose, coaching scared. Um they point to the 20 seconds at the end of the game where you had a timeout and Josh yep. Allen and maybe, you know, you, you try a couple of shots and give yourself a chance to get into field goal range. What are your, what's your sense of coaching decisions late in these games and about, you know, the narrative that maybe McDermott isn't fit for these close games at the end? Yeah, I, th- I think, listen, he's, he's obviously his track record speaks for itself when it comes to the ability to coach. I mean, he's a darn good coach and he's had a ton of success. I think just specifically, Steve, talking to that situation, really two situations stand out for me in the game, coaching-wise. The 20 seconds, I was watching the game with my wife because my wife was actually – my wife's a Philly girl, so she was pissed at me all game because I wanted Buffalo to win because obviously I'm a fan of Josh and the team, and when they're good, you know, life is good in the NFL. Um, When they got the ball, when Philly, you know, made that kick or whatever to tie it, I told her, I was like, it is, trust me, this is not over just yet. They, they need one play, and that kid can make it. And so I was very surprised because if you think about it like this, if you drop back and you are overly aggressive and you take a shot, whether it's you're trying to hit a 20-yard in, 30-yard in, or you're trying to hit a go ball, that might take eight or nine seconds. Let's say it's incomplete. Let's call it again. Like, let's, are, are, Is there a potential bad that can happen? Of course. Of course, but we can't live in that world. You, you, you had every right to win that game. If you don't hit it, we call it again. We still have our timeout. We hit it. Now it becomes a conversation. Okay, you pop your timeout more than likely and you're out of bounds. And it's like, are we in field goal range? Do we have Hail Mary opportunity? Do we need six more yards? Because if so, we can get six more yards type of thing. Um, so I do think that was a missed opportunity. But Steve, for big, bigger for me, man, is um, – the, that that final drive that led into overtime, and I talked about this a lot yesterday, the ball was on the left hash on first down. Philadelphia went five straight completions into the boundary. You know this. Like five straight completions into the boundary? Never once did Buffalo scheme-wise 
take the boundary away and force the ball to go to the field, force the harder throw, force the longer throw, force more time to potentially get off the clock because guys aren't close enough to the sidelines. So that for me was the one situation in that game that I sat there and said, offensively, when we start a two minute drill, we've got a couple things that are like our objectives, our goals. And it's like, one is get the easiest and shortest completion Two, get out of bounds. I felt like Buffalo gifted that stuff to Philadelphia. That would probably be my biggest gripe when it comes to that management of the game. Let's uh, spin it forward and look post by here. As you probably already know, the Bills have the toughest remaining strength of schedule. It starts in Kansas yeah. City with the Chiefs. The Bills are 6-0 and after the bye under Sean McDermott, uh, for whatever that's worth. This is the first time, however, they are post-bye on the road, and they're in a pretty tough spot. They've won there before in the regular season. We know that. But looking at the next couple in particular, uh, just your thoughts on what lies ahead for this team, the way it's playing as of right now. you got to get one of the next two. You get one of the next two week 18 is going to be for a chance to get to the playoffs. I said this yesterday. No one's going to want Josh in either. So one of the next two, Kansas City or Dallas. Okay, so Kansas City. Um, I think that this defense in Buffalo, with the way that they've played in spurts, even with some of the injuries, can keep them in that football game. Okay? That game is going to come down to, the Kansas City game will come down to one thing. How well Josh executes versus all the different pressures that Steve Spagnuolo is going to bring. All, all, and, and, and that's kind of been his DNA, but he's awesome at it. Like he, He's awesome at it. And, and they, they kept Philadelphia's offense in check for a great majority of that game. Um, and so how willing and ready he's going to be for some of those situations. Uh, and then for the Dallas game, you know, the Dallas game will be about first down. Like, if you're not good on first down against Dallas's defense, I don't care who you are. They're going to – they'll, they'll bum rush you because 11 is just – Michael Parsons is just a game wrecker. But if they can find a way to get one of the next two I, – I said this to our group today. Week 18 will be for a playoff spot. I firmly believe – now, it's like college football. You might need a little help here or there, Indy or Houston or, you know – Cleveland falling off potentially Cincinnati, but um, they, they got to find a way to get one of the next two real yeah. quick guys. I just want to put this into context. Cause I've, you know, I've part of me feels like, in, like personal about not personal, but I've heard, I've seen a lot of stuff like get said about Josh, you know, and this, you know, whatnot. And I, I got dear friends that have their opinions on Josh, just to put into context. I got this, this number the other day, um, about Josh's performance on Sunday, so everyone can kind of get into the context of it. So Josh on third downs on Sunday was 12 and 19 on third and medium plus. So third and six yards or plus, they were 12 of 19. He was 12 and 19. That's the best a quarterback's been in over 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, and, we, and we six of those that. were third and seven or more. Yeah, they were. Yeah, he was unbelievable on third down, and 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 I think one of the things, and one of the things that fans here in Buffalo have noticed is his willingness to just pull it down and get the first down with his legs, slide for it. You'll see him at the end of this game, and I noticed it. You know, it was a rainy, muddy day. He didn't finish. He finished, and he was covered 
from head to toe in grass stains. And the guy was the guy. Yeah. That's the way he plays. And I and I made this statement as well. I mean, you watch all these, and I don't, I don't know. Just uh, Jalen Hurts, great. He's a great player, and he's got that it factor of they, they, they yeah. he elevates guys, you know. And Mahomes, and and the, the Chiefs are kind of struggling to get it back on track this year, and but still playing extremely good. Um, don't look like the old Chiefs, but they still are winning games. And Mahomes is the same way. Justin Herbert, uh, Trevor Lawrence, Dak Prescott, go down the list. It's I said this yesterday. None of them. Nobody is playing any position in the league better than Josh Allen's playing his spot this year. And they're, I know they're 6-6, six and six, but this guy has played at a level. And I, you can look at the turnovers, too. If you slice the turnovers up, Josh is leading the league in touchdowns. Mahomes has got a bunch of touch turnovers. Dak's got a bunch of turnovers. These guys are all turning it over because they got to. they got to put the ball at risk. It's the way the league is. Yeah, Josh is not going to win the MVP because of where the Bills are right at this moment. You know, they're six and six, right. and you just don't give the MVP to a quarterback of a six and six club. But nobody is playing any better than this guy's playing right now. Yeah, I agree. I agree, Steve. I, I agree. And I and in the the conversation I did this about the interceptions a couple weeks ago and saying like, hey, sometimes you just have four or five or six in a year that. Just don't go your way. You know, ball gets tipped at the line of scrimmage or goes through hands or defender gets a pinky on it. And, you know, all of a sudden everyone. So, you know, this this guy's a turnover machine or whatnot. I, I just we we have to we have to be honest about kind of the what he is doing and how he is doing it. Um and you know what, Steve? Like, I honestly believe this. He wins on Sunday. If they, if, if they don't, if Jake Elliott doesn't hit an unbelievable kick or Jalen Hurts doesn't become you know, you know, uh, the Terminator for the last two drives. I, I honestly believe he would be very much so at the top of MVP lists. So now that's in the past. They lost, obviously. But I told you guys a couple minutes ago, like, hey, they got to find a way to win one of the next two. If they get that performance in one of their next two, they'll win one of them. Yeah. yeah. Why yeah. do you – I mean, Dan, you're you're kind of a part of, you know, the national landscape on this league – why do you think that narrative is so pervasive on Josh? Uh, is it because he's on national television a lot and he's had some stinkers? Uh, what? Why is it so pervasive? Because, as you said, I mean, there are other quarterbacks who are pretty co- pretty close in terms of total turnovers to Josh. Josh still leads the league. We know yeah. that. He's led the league since he's been in the league. We understand all that, but... Nobody seems to get the same kind of pervasive criticism that he does. Why do you think that is on a national level? Yeah, because it's 25 years ago. Like, So 20 years ago, 25 years ago, not 25, 20 years ago, the only quarterback that was good in the NFL was Tom Brady. Everyone else sucked. Or everyone else was hated on or everyone else was nitpicked. Right now it's Patrick. Patrick's the only good quarterback in the NFL. And everybody else sucks in some capacity. I honestly, guys, I've been victim of this. I've done this. I've I've been kind of like um, overly critical of other quarterbacks. Dak Prescott is one of them. Where I've been like, well, you know. So if if it's it's almost like if you're not Patrick Mahomes, you're not you're not good. And people just wait for the moment when you have a slip up, which is going to happen because that's happened in sports and the other teams get paid. So 
I do. I don't know if it's just Josh though, guys. I don't like, I, I, I hear tons of hate that Jalen Hurts sucks and, you know, Lamar Jackson sucks and Josh Allen sucks and, oh, Joe Burrow's a product of the people around him. These guys are unbelievable players. I mean, they're on Dak Prescott sucks. Dak's playing awesome this year. So um, I, I think it's just a little bit of the the kind of the, the narrative culture. Josh, maybe being, a, you know, the, the, the guy that's kind of been all over TV, I guess, over the last year and, and Madden cover and all that. It's, it's, he's a very easy target as well. Dan, thanks as always. Uh, we'll catch up with you after the bye week, sir. Thanks, thanks for the Dan. time. Be well, guys. All right, that's Dan Orlovsky as he joins us every Tuesday here on One Bills Live, breaking it down for us. And um, it was good to get his thoughts on the performance in that game. Yeah. Um, some interesting thoughts on the final two drives by the Eagles as well, just in terms of you know how the Bills lined up defensively against them. Um, but let's get back to the phones as we are seeking your input on your level of optimism that the Bills are making the playoffs. And to a guy who's been waiting patiently, to Dave in Florida here. What do you got for us, Dave? How you doing, guys? Love the show. Religious listener. Uh, I had to take the 48-hour rule here before I made any comments <laughs> on anybody. It. I'm in Florida. I'm in I'm in Finn's country, taking the abuse about it's their time to shine, including my son-in-law. It's brutal. But here I here I am, and I'm telling you what, you know, like Berman says, nobody circles the wings like the Bills, and uh, I'm optimistic that they can run the table. That offensive line is the best offensive line we've had in I don't know how long. You look at the play calls by the D. It's not that the play calls are off. I mean, you had a 20 seconds. I get it. I fell on the floor when you did that, but. Um, there were guys in position to make plays. I mean, for God's sakes, uh, the, the touchdown at the end there, there was two guys on. I mean, our two two of our best, but I know they're past their prime, but they were there. And, uh, you know, the plays that have been called, the guys are there. You know, they're dropping it, they're missing it, a read, whatever. But you can't clean that on a coach. But anyway, I, I love McDermott for where he brought us from and two. But there's a thing that I think is the issue, and it's the mindset. I mean, Steve, when you were playing, you guys were in your you guys were really killing it in the nineties. I had season tickets and we'd be sitting in the stands and you guys would go down twenty one and we look at each other and go, Ah, they're just warming up. You know, they got this. You know, and you you just believed. When that last drive came up where they scored and beat us, Philadelphia, you can almost feel it through the T V. It was like, Oh my God, here we go again. And you know, being a champion is a mindset as much as anything else. You know, why it just is. I watched my kids won state championships and I'm telling you, they believed. And there's other teams that at that moment when it was darkest or it was toughest, the other team didn't. And um, I don't know, man. (laughs) But I'm hanging, and I'm thinking we're going to get to the playoffs. And like you said, Steve, nobody wants to play us. Nobody. Thanks for the call, Dave. You're right. Um, There is that – there's all these people out there that that think that there's some – you know, dark specter that hangs over Buffalo sports, and for some reason, you know, never sh- the sun never shines on Buffalo. You know, late in the season, and um, I don't really subscribe to that. And I know this too. I've I've said it a gazillion times over the thirty-five years since I was a a good player. Um, everybody thinks that you you got to, and there is a lot to this mindset thing that you're talking about. I think. Uh, everybody thinks you got to do something special to win these games, this this game, like the Philly game, like these regular season games, even the Super Bowl, the ones that I was in. You get you you fool yourself into thinking, man, I got to do, I got to be really extra special today, <clears throat> and really exact. Excuse me, the exact opposite is true. All you got to do is be you, 
And that's why you hear this stuff about being the best version of yourself. That's it. You don't have to do anything special. These guys are special enough to win. And you get into these moments when you'll see it too. And you, you can tell, you can pick guys out of every team. Like Diggs is this way for the Bills. That guy loves that moment. He loves when everything is on the line and the pressure couldn't be at its most as it's most intense. It's just absolutely going crazy. You gotta have it. I mean, oh my gosh. And he says, give me the ball. Throw it to me. That's rare for a guy to be wired like that. You, you look at the Minneapolis miracle. It's an impossible, and he not only catches it in the middle of two guys, he, didn't even, he comes down and goes. That kind of player is special. But he, didn't, he doesn't feel like he has to be special. He just wants the moment. That's the mindset you're talking about. And maybe, maybe there are, aren't enough guys with the Bills. You know, certainly there are guys. I don't think Vaughn's been there. He's been that guy. Diggs has been that guy. Josh is certainly that guy. You know, so you got guys like that smattered throughout your roster. Ed Oliver seems to be that guy this year. So that, I think there's a lot in that mindset thing. And you got to be in a position where you got to tell yourself, you know what, I'm going to, let's go. Get, give me a chance to win this thing right here. Let's go. And sometimes that's more, a more rare uh, characteristic than physical attributes and talent. Yeah. We have to take a break here. When we return, we're going to be joined by ESPN NFL insider and fantasy football expert Field Yates for an early edition of the Ultimate Fantasy Lineup presented by FanDuel for Week 13. That's coming your way next here on One Bills Live presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Back here on One Bills Live, Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you, and time for the ultimate fantasy lineup with none other than ESPN NFL insider, fantasy football expert Field Yates, presented by FanDuel, an official partner of the Buffalo Bills. Download the app today and make every moment more. Field, hope you had a good holiday weekend, but we're back at it here in week 13, even though it's a buy for the Bills. It is a buy for the Bills, but it's not a buy for us here to do our ultimate fantasy line presented by uh, FanDuel. So I appreciate you guys being uh, flexible. I know that you guys have a quiet week at the end of the week. So you guys deserve that richly. I don't know if I like the week 13 buy. It feels a little bit too late for me, but we don't make the schedule. We just follow it. And we're going to keep on keeping on for the rest of this season. Yeah, and that's uh, well. The Bills kind of need a little bit of a break right here before they take the they uh, the big plunge in the last five weeks of the season. We'll see how it goes. But the, you're right. The fantasy lineup kind of continues to roll. Let's see where we get started. Sam Howell for Washington yeah. against Miami. Uh, interesting pick. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and, and he's been really, really good this year as a guy that was uh, not necessarily talked about a lot in season-long fantasy drafts. But Sam Howell actually leads the NFL in passing yards and leads the NFL in passing attempts. They throw the ball 40-plus times per game basically every single week. He's done so in an amazing six straight games, and that's in large part because their defense is so bad. Well, they're playing the Miami Dolphins, one of the best offenses in the NFL. You figure Sam Howell will be throwing it a ton against Miami, and it might be in garbage time as well. But Sam Howell fits the bill at quarterback in Week 13, which we can take right to running back, gentlemen, and we go to Jalen Warren of the Pittsburgh Steelers. You could actually make a case for any Steelers lineup, uh, running back in your lineup because 
They play the Cardinals on Sunday, and the Cardinals have just been a disaster against opposing running backs. The Rams, who have Cooper Cup and Puka Nakua, got a career day out of Kyron Williams last week against Arizona. That run defense is just so porous, uh, and the game is being played at home. Jalen Warren and Najee Harris are pretty much a 50-50 split in terms of snaps for the Steelers, but Warren, the far more explosive player, very good in the passing game as well, as is the case with Bijan Robinson for the Falcons. As I get right to our second running back here, he's priced at $8,100. There's a big ticket item in daily fantasy pricing. But for Bijan, it's because they play the Jets. And, you know, you guys watch this Jets team up close and personal twice this season, but most recently just a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, with the Jets, you don't really bother throwing it all that much. Josh Allen had a big day, but Josh is a rare breed, that's for sure. With the Bills, because of that talent in the cornerback room, teams just say, why bother throwing it? We can just run it, especially because the Jets' offensive ineptitude is such that they're not ever playing shootout games, right? If they get the 20 in a week, it's a miracle. So I expect the Falcons to just ground and pound this game in a major way. And while he might be a big ticket item, you completely jumped the shark with your first (laughs) wide receiver pick, or maybe I should say jump the dolphin here with your first pick. That's right. Tyreek Hill, 10,000 bucks. Doesn't get any more expensive than that guys. But, uh, You know, what do you do when you have the number one receiver in fantasy playing against the worst secondary in the NFL? You play him in daily fantasy. That's what you do here. Uh, You know, he's unstoppable, guys. I mean, uh, you know, you've seen it. You know, the Bills are the only team that's kind of solved this. uh, They're they're one of the few teams that's kind of solved this Miami offense uh, this season. And yet in games in which Tyree kills, offensive teammates were pretty limited. Didn't really impact him all that much. Tyreek Hill has just been remarkable this season. He's got 1,324 receiving yards. His fewest receiving yards in a game was 40 all the way back in week two against the Patriots. But he had a touchdown in that game as well. So only Buffalo has really been able to slow him down for a full game. And that's much more the, uh, as you guys can attest, much more the uh, the exception than the rule. I don't know who's going to stop him in that commander's defense, but uh you know, in fantasy, daily fantasy, you try not to always grab the low-hanging fruit, but sometimes it's just right there and you can't help but go for it. And then we get to the more interesting picks, right, Brownie? Because A.T. Perry is one that even an astute fantasy and football mind like you may not necessarily be talking about all that often in your uh, group chat amongst other football diehards because A.T. Perry, a six-round pick out of Wake Forest for the Saints, is on the radar. Uh, there is nobody healthy for the Saints right now amongst their top three wide receivers. Michael Thomas, IR, Chris Olave, concussion protocol, and Rashid Shahid has got a hamstring injury. I mean, those three right there, quad injury, excuse me, um, are playing a ton of snaps. So someone's got to step up, and I wonder if it can be A.T. Perry, who had two targets this past week for the Saints. Uh, should be a much busier man against the uh, Lions this upcoming Sunday. And then go to the Josh Downs at Tennessee. People have really struggled going into Tennessee. They're playing really well at home. Why Josh Downs and the Colts? Yeah, they they are playing well. But I would argue that part of the reason why they're playing well is they get the right team that they face at home. So far this season, they beat the Falcons, they beat the Chargers, and they have most recently beat the Panthers, the worst team in the NFL. But with Tennessee, you know, such a pass-funnel defense. They've really struggled to defend Opposing wide receivers all season and downs is just so busy. It's 13 targets this past week for Indianapolis. Turned that into just five catches. That's much more about the ball placement than it was uh, the player himself in Josh Downs. And the price is pretty darn reasonable. 
at $6,100. All right, and you go back to the Washington-Miami game here with a little bit of a stack, hoping that uh, Howell finds your tight end a good deal. That's right. You say Sam Howell's going to throw it a lot. You say he might be throwing it 50 times in this game. Well, Logan Thomas is bound to be targeted five, six, seven, maybe even eight times in this game as a result. Thomas is a solid player, good athlete. And uh, at 5200 bucks, if he can turn that into five to eight targets, I'll feel pretty good about the return on investment there. I'll take it right to the flex. Uh, Adam Thielen is the name we've got here. And, you know, Thielen has been the volume guy for that Carolina offense. Uh, sometimes a coordinator change makes a change. You guys have witnessed one over the past couple of games for Buffalo. I think I've seen some things that are different. Um, but I'd also argue the most important thing is that you either have good players or you don't. And uh, as far as like changing things up from week in and week out, Panthers, I'm not sure they're going to change a whole lot, but they don't need to for Adam Thielen to pay off because Thielen has been so, so busy this season. Uh, he's been averaging something like it's a ridiculous number of targets. He's in like the top 10 for targets this year. So he fits in the flex spot there. Yeah, and, th- and that's really a, a nod towards maybe a change in Carolina or what? Well, he's been volume. Oh, man, I, I am hoping that uh, the, the coordinator change just leads to like incremental progress for Bryce Young, the head coach, change, I, should say, I should say. But I, I think for the wide receiver purposes, like it's Thielen or Bust, Jonathan Mingo, DJ Chark. I mean, stop me when you're scared of a wide receiver that Carolina is going to roll out on <laughs> field. Probably the worst skill group in the entire NFL, right? I mean, it's got to be up there. So uh, it's a team that I think that's going to struggle to score points, whether uh, Bryce Young or I am under center this year. And thankfully for the Carolina Panthers, I am not under center at all. All right, finally, defense, uh, usually your punt option, and uh, the price tag would indicate that here. Yes, it is. It's the Rams, who are not exactly chock full of household names here, but Joe the Browns. I think there's a pretty good chance it's Joe Flacco under center for the Browns. Dorian Thompson-Robinson, he's in the concussion protocol, but let's examine what else is happening with the Browns offense. I like the Jets without... Well, Aaron Rodgers, I guess. They can't score touchdowns. Really struggled to score over the past few weeks with DTR under center. Meanwhile, Amari Cooper is iffy to play. Uh, the Browns have scored one touchdown in each of their uh, – excuse me, one touchdown over the past – one touchdown in each of their past two games. So I don't expect a whole lot of output there. Joe Flacco, I think, is going to be better than Dorian Thompson-Robinson, but it's still going to be like 10 practices worth for Joe Flacco before he potentially becomes a starter. Mario Cooper might not play. Injuries have really hit the Browns pretty hard offensively this year. So the Rams, even if they are not exactly the most talented defense, a great price tag and a great matchup. Good stuff. Appreciate you, Fields. That's uh, and it's always nice to you know see every week. How how was your Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving was great. Uh, really, I mean, a couple of quiet days. Uh, at least in terms of not being in the office, uh, I might have put on a few pounds, but. And we'll work those off, gentlemen. And I appreciate you guys every week. And I know you guys uh, deserve these next few days. You'll have off. And I know it's been a uh, probably a frustrating 48 or so hours. But um, count me amongst the people that think this team is primed to uh, do some damage, even with a tough schedule coming out of the bye. That sounds good to me, Field. Thanks yeah, for the time. It, we'll man. take your optimism and run with it. Uh, we'll catch up with you next week. Thanks, man. That's good, guys. Talk to you. All right, that's Field Yates, ESPN NFL insider, fantasy football analyst, joining us here as he does every week with the ultimate fantasy lineup presented by FanDuel. We want to squeeze a couple of phone calls in here for people that have been waiting patiently as we've been asking you all day today, what is your level of optimism? 
that the Bills are making the playoffs. Maybe you feel like Field. Maybe you feel a little bit differently. But let's go to the phones and find out. And we go to Fran in Buffalo next. What do you got for us, Fran? Yeah, good afternoon. Before I make my comment, I want to say thanks, Chris. You're doing a great job filling in, and we miss Murph. Um, what I'd like to talk about is time management. The Bills' offense has been so prolific and doing fantastic. We've been burned a couple times, especially on the last drive during regulation. Uh, we could have ran more time off the clock, giving Philly less than the minute and 52 that we did. And it's burned us more in the past. I haven't heard anybody else talk about this. Well, I mean, it's easier said than done. Certainly when the Bills go in for the final score to Gabe Davis and take the lead with a minute 58 or 50, whatever it was, 52 left, it looks easy. Uh, and maybe, you know, they, what are you going you know, you know, to – They did run the ball on first down once they got right. to first and goal. They were trying to kill some clock. Right. And, you know, then – Or at least force Philly to use timeouts. Right. You're going to – what are you going to kneel down and give yourself one last chance to actually put yourself in the position to win the game? You it's can't a, do it. You it's gotta, a bit of a roulette game. It's, yeah, it's a little bit of Russian roulette there. And so I, I get it. And and I'll say this too: that may be some of the things that we've seen in past games and in past seasons where the Bills start running the ball a little bit too much for most fans' liking. It feels like they go into an offensive shell and leave their defense hanging out, but. I think more than anything, it might be a nod to their confidence in their offense's ability to make first downs and just say, listen, we're going to, you know, so you might, you, you come back and it might bite you in that way. So you think, say, listen, let's let the offense run the ball here, run the clock, let's get some first downs uh, and just kill this game. And we've seen them do it. I mean, they ran out, there was one game, I can't remember the name of the game, it was a home game. They ran off the last five and a half minutes of the game uh, with their offense and just squeeze the, the game off, it, which is unbelievable. So there's a little bit of that mentality is, is that this offense is so good at making first downs that let's just put them out there, don't score, just stay on the field. And I think a couple of times maybe they just put them in a spot where they had an opportunity to lose the game. Let's go to Ken in New York here. Uh, let me pull him up. What do you got for us, Ken? Hey, good afternoon, guys. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, Man, I've been a diehard Bills fan. You know, I've watched every game they played. I've gone to some of their games. And one quick question. Why would they, when on that game against Denver, why didn't they fire the offensive or the special teams coach? They knew there was 12 players on the field, and they lost that game. I don't understand how that could happen. And also... With Tredavious White going down and Matt Milano, we lost him. I mean, we're not going to make the playoffs. I mean, we got to be realistic about this. We're going to end up being nine and eight, and that's not going to be good enough to make the playoffs. And, you know, I mean, it was third down and six on the 17-yard line. Why wouldn't you throw the ball to the tight end, get the first down, and keep the play going? instead of throwing it into the end zone and then kicking a field goal and giving the the Eagles a chance to come back. Those are mistakes that I just don't understand, you know, and I'm trying to wrap my head around it. Maybe you guys can understand it better than me. Well, here's Thanks the thing, Ken. My here's, call, guys. Here's, here's the thing you got to know, Ken. None of those things, most of those things, I'm not, I can't remember everything that you said, 
none of those things were a mistake until they turned out bad. So yeah, um, you can you can say it was a mistake after the fact, but before the fact, you, I mean, certainly you can say, well, they should have you know given themselves a better chance here. They should have let Josh throw it with twenty seconds left in the game. They should have you know called heads when they called tails. I mean, you know, go on, let's go down that rabbit hole. But the simple fact of the matter is none of that stuff is a mistake until after the play is unsuccessful. So, and they don't just call plays willy-nilly, and they don't call plays because they think they're not going to work. And they don't call plays just, they don't pick them out of a hat when they do call a play that doesn't work. So, yeah, I I get all of that. And there's, you know, the 12 Guys on the field, dude, I, yes, the coordinator's part, of, and I'll, I'll say it, I've said it a couple of times this, this game, this, this, you know, what am I going to say? It's everybody's mistake. 12 guys on the field isn't like somebody, somebody, they knew they had 12, they didn't know they had 12, if they had, knew they had 12 guys on the field, they would have called a timeout, they wouldn't have done, I mean, what are you, no, they didn't know they had 12 guys. There's 11 guys out there. Actually, there's 12 guys out there. All 12 of them should have counted to 12. Nobody did. Yeah. Except, That's everybody's mistake. Except the back judge. Everybody we, made that mistake. Not It's not his mistake. It's it's 12 guys' mistake, and it's the it's everybody on the sidelines' mistake. Yeah. We got we to gotta break here because uh, we're up against it. We'll be back to close it up in a second here on One Bills Live. Did want to pass along here on One Bills Live. We do have an abbreviated week ourselves on the show, with this being the bye week. We will not have a show on Thursday or on Friday. We'll resume our regular programming the following Monday at noon. With that in mind, instead of Friday on tomorrow's show, we will have senior producer from NFL Films, Greg Cosell, joining us to not only break down Maybe some final thoughts on Bill's Eagles, but also the upcoming games after the bye. We'll see you tomorrow at 1.